Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante. I'm sure you already know this podcast. You know what we're doing. We're walking with the Pilgrim Dante. We're walking across Inferno all the way out through the Divine Comedy. And we are up to Canto 5 of Inferno. We have reached the opening lines, lines 1 through 24 of Inferno, Canto 5. If you want to see this passage in my translation, my English translation, you can check out my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. It goes to the same place. I'm so excited about this. I have wanted to get to the lustful for forever, and we are finally here. So without any other further ado, the passage lines 1 through 24, Canto 5. Inferno. So I went down from the first circle and into the second, which rounds a smaller space and has more pain to goad the cries. Horrid Minos stands there snarling. He quizzes each sinner at the entrance, judging and sentencing them by wrapping himself up. I mean that when the bad-born soul comes before him, it confesses everything, and that cognoscente of sin decides what its place in hell should be by wrapping his tail around himself as many times as the number of circles down it has to go. They crowd him, but go one at a time to their judgment. They tell, they hear, and they are hurled down. You there who comes to our hostelry of sorrow, Minas said when he saw me, setting aside the pursuit of his official duties. Beware how you get in and whom you trust. Don't kid yourself about the portal's easy entrance. And my guide to him. Why do you holler so much? Don't get in the way of his destined journey. This is willed, or what is willed is what is done. Don't question us anymore. Now we're going to stop right there with three different speakers. Dante the Pilgrim narrating his journey with the poet right behind him and Minos and Virgil. So I'm going to take this passage a little bit by little bit. It's a packed passage full of all kinds of golden nuggets of interpretive problems. So let's just look at it as we go forward. I'm going to start right at the top. So I went down from the first circle into the second. Opening lines. It's important to see right here, we're getting a notion of the geography of hell. You probably know enough about Dante to know that hell lies in rings or circles. And you might know that purgatory exists in circles or cornices up a mountain. And you might know that the spheres rotate around the earth. And so the Paradiso is going to go through those spheres round and round and round we go. But this is really honestly the first time we're getting a sense of you go down in the geography and this is what's crucial, which rounds a smaller space. So this is the first time we're learning that it's conical that it's this pit that runs down toward a center. We had that moment when Dante looked over the edge earlier and tried to see to the bottom, but it wasn't as clear as this, that the circles are going to get smaller. But note that which rounds a smaller space, but has more pain to goad the cries. Each circle gets smaller, but as they get smaller, they get more packed, more 
epic. The pain gets wilder. The punishments get crazier. It's just as if it goes down and each bit is smaller and smaller and smaller. And you know what's inside of it is bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And in fact, we're going to find out in that the cantos ultimately are going to explode and several of them, many of them will cover one circle. So it's you know, we're getting smaller circles with more and more stuff in it and here more pain to code the cries okay that's the first bit about the geography of hell let's move on horrid minos stands there snarling let's stop minos minos is a legendary king of crete known for being an excellent judge, a kind of legendary figure out of the mists. Virgil picks him up and Virgil puts him in the underlife. And Dante is getting this from Virgil. Well, he's getting some of Minos from Virgil. Um, more like, and this is going to get a little bit too much into the weeds, what Virgil's got is three figures who are kind of judgment figures in the afterlife. And Dante's kind of boiled them all down down to one minus. I'd like to show you the passage in the Aeneid. I just want to read it to you about what that minus does. I'm reading the Robert Fagel's translation, so let me read this to you. But not without a jury picked by lot, not without judge are their places handed down, that is, the dead. Not at all. Minos, the grand inquisitor, stirs the urn. He summons the silent jury of the dead. He scans the lives of those accused their charges. The region next to them is held by those sad ghosts, innocent all, who brought on death by their own hands, despising the light, they threw their lives away, and then et cetera, and then more different types of the dead and where they're headed and all this stuff. And there's actually other figures in charge of other pieces of the underworld in Virgil's Aeneid. But notice that Minos stands there and he stirs the urn or he, he sifts their ashes or he's he's judging them in some way. And he's holding their their remains and shifting them around to try to figure out where they belong in the afterlife. This Minos is very different in Dante. He may have picked up a figure from the Aeneid, but he changes this figure dramatically. Minos is the product, the child of Zeus and Europa. If you know your mythology, you know that Zeus basically oh, courted, raped uh, ugh, Europa in the uh, and Zeus was in the form of a bull. It's, so it's a kind of bestial mating. And Minos is the, the product of that union. Here, Minos is much different. He becomes much more what we think of as a traditional Christian demonic figure. In fact, Dante so sets this notion of Minos. If you look in Michelangelo's Last Judgment, that uh, painting on the, the fresco on the back wall of the Sistine Chapel, if you look down at the bottom, you will see Minos there with his tail. You'll note two things about this Minos that are curious. One is that apparently it's a nonverbal cue. He wraps himself up. Let me read you the lines again. Horrid Minos stands there snarling. He quizzes each sinner at the entrance, judging and sentencing them by wrapping himself up. You should know there's a little bit of a translation problem there. And uh, earlier commentators thought that what he did is flick his tail back and forth. Um, most people now accept, and I'm accepting the reading of most moderns, that Minos wraps his tail. I should also note that there's a little bit of textual corruption there. So... 
it's a it's a little bit of a tough point, but it seems to be clarified in the next tercet. I mean that when the badborn soul comes before him, it confesses everything at that. <laughs> I like that I translated. Cognoscente of sin, that connoisseur, that epicure of sin, decides what its place in hell should be by wrapping his tail around himself as many times as the number of circles it has to go down. Notice that this is nonverbal cueing. Minas, of course, speaks in this passage, but at this point, the judgment seems to be nonverbal. Now, later it's said that the damned hear their judgments, so there must be words spoken, but this is important. Minos is our second figure. Charon was our first weird demon with the fire around his eyes, with his boat and acarante, and now we come to Minos. These are not traditional demons with horns and wings and all that bit, but they are hellish figures. And you'll note that as we pass through them, and we're going to come to more in subsequent cantos just right coming up, they get less and less verbal, less and less able to speak. I mean, Karen carries on an entire conversation with Virgil and Dante. Minos just offers two lines, and it seems to be that his judging is nonverbal. You know, he stands there, he wraps his tail around himself, and down they go. But there's a second odd thing about Minos standing there. Doesn't it seem to you like this should be a heavenly figure or at least God? Isn't God the judge of the world? I mean, yes, okay, let's say we can we can posit that God has judged these sinners to hell. But at the same time, you would think this weighing of the souls would be a more divine function. Is it that really once you're um once you're damned that <laughs> the divine no longer cares what happens to you? Oh, this sounds so weird. Is that the deal that once you're damned, once you're over into hell, you know, basically you're done and you're down. And so now it's hell's business. And you'll note also about Minos, he is our first true bureaucrat because when he speaks to Dante the Pilgrim, he says, you know, well, this bit about welcome to our hostelry of sorrow. And he sets aside the pursuit of his official duties. He's our first real bureaucrat. Well, Karen wasn't so much a bureaucrat, just a kind of threatening warning figure in his boat. But this guy's got, he's got a job, got a tail, so he's not human. I mean, listen, Karen had fire ringing his eyes and all that stuff in his shaggy beard, but he was still vaguely human, human with deformities, with hellish deformities. This is getting worse. Uh, this thing, is it even a person it's got this big tail in michelangelo the tail's like a snake it's wild but we're, we're getting less and less human because of course everybody's going to start lo losing their humanity as they enter inferno itself okay so enough about minos let's look at actually what's going on I'm going to start back at the beginning. Horrid Minos stands there snarling, quizzes each sinner at the entrance, judging and sentencing them by wrapping himself up. I mean that when the badborn soul, there's an interpretive problem, l'anima malnata, the poorly born, the bad born, the evil born soul, the evil born spirit comes before him. That's getting very Calvin. That seems to indicate that certain souls are born bad. Not that their choices make them bad, but that they're 
born that way. It's a very weird knot. And Dante's going to solve this knot. Believe it or not, how evil arises in this question of, is it choice? Is it ethical? Or is it part of your being? Is it ontological? Which would be the Calvinist statement. Dante's going to solve it, but we're going to have to wait a long time from until all the way up in Purgatorio and Marco of Lombardy, and there's going to be a whole solution to this, and I assure you the solution is not anything you could possibly imagine coming out of the Christian tradition. You talk about moving the fence. What do we find out about this bit when we get way up in Purgatorio? But for right now, let's just say that the badborn soul, l'anima malnata, it's a little bit theologically tight. It's not tight in terms of orthodox um, Christian doctrine in Dante's day. It's not tight in terms of original sin passed from Adam to you, to me, to all of us. It's not tight in terms of that. It's tight in terms of this structure that Dante seems to start to build, that evil is a choice of the will, not a choice of not a, not a piece of your being. But here, it's fudging a little on the line. Okay, enough about that. The badborn soul comes before Minos, and then this is the part I love. It confesses everything. I'm just going to stop right there. It confesses everything. You realize that this word jumps out. Confession. It's a sacrament of the church. This soul, in a perversion of what should happen, confesses to Minos. But more importantly than that, this is a soul that could have confessed up above, up on earth, <laughs> outside of hell. This soul could have taken advantage of confession. And had this soul done this up there, it wouldn't be here now. I don't care if you believe it or you don't believe it, if you're Christian or Catholic, it's, it's irrelevant. What to me is so interesting here is this notion that to be damned is not to take advantage of the gifts of grace until it is too late. That is the nature for Dante of being damned. This soul, these souls could have confessed. They could have gone through the, the ritual purgations and all of that up top. They didn't do it. They get here. They get to hell. And what is the first thing they do? Ah, they confess. They do the thing they should have done up there. But skip that theology and just think that through for a minute. To be damned is not to take advantage of the gifts of grace until it is too late. To have a friend offer help, to, for you to be in trouble and have some friends say, hey, let me help you. Let me, I don't know, uh, you, you know your, your, your spouse is in a terrible situation with cancer. Let me feed you for the next two weeks. And you say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. No, 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 don't, don't, I don't want to trouble you. Don't do all that. See, you didn't take advantage of the gifts of grace. And then all of a sudden you get into it and, you know, you're two weeks into your spouse's horrid chemo treatments. And you think, oh, God, I just need dinner. And you call up your friend and now your friend, I don't know, is on a business trip or is it's too late. It, it, it can't happen. The schedule's all bad now. That's the definition of being damned. That is the place you put yourself in by refusing the gifts of grace when they were offered and then taking them or asking for them or then trying to get them when it's too late. Oh, man. See, Dante connects directly 
to us. The poet has this ability to reach beyond the medieval context, the medieval theology, the medieval moment, because the poem is so well-structured and so thick with meaning that it just reaches out and grabs me where I am. Okay, let's pass on. So Minos decides where they go. Uh, the passage reads, they crowd him, but go one at a time to their judgment. This isn't some kind of quick thing. They got to each get in front of him. They got to each do this confession. And then the line they tell, they hear. So Minos must speak something. It must not just be his tale. They tell, they hear, and they are hurled down. Okay, I have two things to say about this line. They tell, they hear, and they are hurled down. One we now know how everybody gets down in the circles of hell. They're thrown down there. They stand here. They confess. The tail wraps around this nightmarish thing. And boom, off they go off the ledge down into the depths of the cone. You know, the, the tail goes around them three times and boom, down they go. The tail goes around him five times. Boom, down they go to the fifth circle of hell. So he's making this judgment. And now we know how they get down there. But what can't happen? <laughs> this is the part I love. The tail can't go around him one time. It can't go around just once. Why? That's limbo. We've passed it, remember? So he went down from the first circle and into the second. So all of those people back there in limbo, Homer, Horace, Ovid, Lucan, that I was so obsessed with, all of them, they never came before Minos. They never stood here. They never confessed. They never did any of this. And furthermore, and this is what makes it weirder, how did these people, these damned standing here, how did they get here? Did they, like Dante, walk through limbo? Is there a constant stream of traffic through that castle and that green grass and limbo and the sighing babies and then just a constant stream of people? If so, it wasn't mentioned back in Canto 4, which all leads me to believe that Canto 4 and limbo is stranger even than I had made it in all of those episodes of Walking with Dante. Because I don't know how they get here. I don't know how these souls get to this point with Minos where they get judged. I now know where they go and how they get down. They get hurled down, thrown off the edge, and land in the in the circle that they're supposed to be in. But Wow, it's weird. It makes limbo even stranger. And there are people, they're wrong. There are people who basically claim this second circle of hell, Minos, this is the real start of hell. It is not. Limbo is the real start of hell. It is called the first circle. It is identified as the first circle. It is beyond doubt in hell. It is the first circle. And you may say, oh, but those were the sins of omission. You know, people who couldn't make a choice now are going to hit lust and gluttony and all that. The sins of commission. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. It's very clear. So I went down from the first circle and into the second. But how did everybody else get here? How did everybody else get off Karen's boat and get to this point? Unclear in the text, which just tells me that all of that stuff I went on and on about about limbo is all holding intention in the ambivalence that is limbo and love moves the fence and all that stuff. Okay, let's move on to the last bit of the passage. 
You there, I'm not going to do the yelling voices. You there who comes to our hostelry of sorrow, Minos said when he saw me setting aside the pursuit of his official duties, the good bureaucrat. Beware how you get in and whom you trust. Don't kid yourself about the portal's easy entrance. Okay, two things. One, hostelry of sorrow. I love this. This is a traveler's motel. This is a wayside traveler's inn. Well, I mean, surely it's tongue-in-cheek from Minos, but nonetheless, the word is used. Hostelry, you know, kind of place where you can stop on your travels. Listen, I told you, Limbo is a country estate. It's a beautiful country estate that you escape to. Here's our wayside inn, and pretty soon, hmm, a few more catches ahead, we're going to hit the walls of hell. So... Even in these tiny little threads, Dante is constructing an architecture, a country estate, a hostelry of sorrow, and then we're going to hit, back up when we get up to Canto 8, we're going to hit the walls of hell itself, Canto 7 and Canto 8, we're going to hit the walls of hell itself and the battlements that surround what's called the city of Dis. That is the very city of hell itself. So see, look at that. Country estate, travel waysides, walls of, this, uh, of hell. There's even going to be a kind of moat-like thing around hell. We'll get to that when we get to it. So even that tiny little thread is being pulled through the architecture of the poem to unite it. It's nice. It's sarcastic here. You there who comes to our hostelry of sorrow from Minos. But yet it's pulling a thematic thread and it's showing us that this thing is unbelievably constructed. So he sets aside his bureaucratic duties and he says, beware how you get in and whom you trust. Boy, that's hard not to hear as a jab at Virgil. I mean, there's Dante and Virgil. Who else would Minos be jabbing at but Virgil? By the way, there's Virgil, who has never had Minos's tail wrapped around anything since he's up in limbo. So here's Virgil standing there, and Minos says, beware whom you trust. This is also often taken in mm, two ways. One is that mm, Minos is being mean. He's trying to come between Dante and his teacher. And so he's just being mm, traditionally demonic, Ugh. trying to divide them at a moment when they need to try to stay together because things are getting scary. I don't actually read it that way. I read it as more straightforward. Minos is a sure judge. He knows where the souls go. He is that <laughs> cognoscente of sin, that epicure of sin. He's not a he's not an idiot. Later we're going to get to some some demonic figures that are idiots, but he's not an idiot. He's a, he's comes out of this tradition of being a legendary wise king. I put a little weight on what he says. Beware how you get in and whom you trust. Why? Like I said a million times, Virgil is a pagan. Virgil doesn't know anything about Christian theology. He doesn't know anything about what Christ did on the cross in Christian theology. Virgil knows none of that. He is, in fact, a guide who at times is going to become troubling and troubled at times. There are times when... In my reading of comedy, Virgil leads Dante astray. We'll get to them, but there are times when it seems like Virgil pushes Dante to a place which is not so great. So I'm just going to tell you that this beware how you get in and whom you trust, I don't take it as just a demonic little way to divide student from teacher. 
Don't kid yourself about the portals. Easy entrance. A lot of commentary about this. Does he mean that gate of hell, the abandoned hope bit, or does he mean this moment right here, this portal, the portal where I throw people over the edge? I don't know. I don't know. I don't actually know that it matters. In other words, all I care about is that it seems to say this is harder than you think it is. And the reason I think that Virgil knows that, and the reason I think that Virgil is aware that this is a jab at Virgil is because Dante doesn't say anything. Virgil jumps in and says, why do you holler so much? And then Virgil adds this bit. Don't get in the way of his destined journey. This is willed where what is willed is what is done. Don't question this anymore. And that is a direct quote from Canto 3, lines 95 to 96. That is exactly what Virgil said to Karen. This is willed where what is willed is what is done. Don't question us anymore. Remember I told you back there in Canto 3 that this is going to be the longest passage that the comedy ever quotes on itself? Well, here it is. Virgil says it first to Karen, second to Minos. Mm, Here's what I think. Virgil's got a spell. He's got a little spell that works. He's going to throw this spell at, well, work with Karen. So he's going to throw the same spell at Minos. This is willed where what is willed is what is done. Don't question this anymore. And you watch. There's going to come a point where Virgil's little spell doesn't work anymore. It's not going to work farther down in hell. But for now, Virgil's got the words. He's got the words that he can use, that he can throw them out. Which leads us to say that rhetoric... The use of words is not a constant, but is situational. It works here. It worked with Karen back in Canto 3, but there will come a point where it definitely will not work anymore. I want to add one other point about limbo. (laughs) I'm never getting off limbo. I'm just never doing it. Okay, here's my other point. You know, it says we, I went down from the first circle in the second, and it seems like we've left limbo behind, right? No. We have never left Limbo behind. We can't leave Limbo behind. Limbo will be with us for a long time because Virgil is with us. Virgil is from Limbo. And the ambivalence, the strangeness, the de- the desire for an orthodox theology versus well, the poet's love of classical learning, all of this will be with us for forever. <laughs> it will be with us until the top of purgatory, All the way through Inferno, Virgil will be with us. All the way through Purgatorio until we get to the very top of Purgatory. Oh, and Virgil's leaving. Oh, when he departs the poem. Oh, I can hardly get through that passage without crying, but that's a different matter for a long, long ahead. Okay, Virgil's with us. Limbo's with us. That ambivalence is in tow. And if we find something strange here, if we find Minos mm, saying, don't trust, you know, don't trust everybody. Watch out who you trust. And if we find Virgil jumping in front of Dante to say, hey, shut up, and then trying his big spell on the demons, if we find all that a little strange and torqued and twisted, trust me, we haven't left limbo. It's with us. It's walking right here. But... 
we're going to cut this off now. I know we didn't get to the lustful, but we almost got to them. They're just one line or two away from us right now. But we're going to descend. I know in this passage, you wouldn't even know what the sin being punished here in the second circle is. I've said it too many times. It's the lustful. We're going to get there. We're going to get there actually in two episodes because I'm going to add an interpolated episode here. I want to start a discussion of something that we're going to have to discuss endlessly <laughs> through Inferno and then endlessly through Purgatorio. So I kind of want to start that discussion first before we hit the lost hole because after all, wanna, well, lust is one of the seven deadly sins. And so we need to talk about what that means, the seven deadly sins. And how did that come about that there were seven of them? I'm going to start that discussion in the next episode of the podcast, so subscribe, join. If you just dropped in here, go back to the beginning. Start walking with us in this quantum reality of podcasts where you could be with us all along because everything's in the present moment constantly. And if you don't mind, rate the podcast, drop a comment. That would be fabulous. A comment would be beyond. I promise if you drop a comment, I'll say good words to Minos about you when you get to hell. So drop a comment. <laughs> <laughs> and come back for the next time so that we can talk about the seven deadly sins and then discover all oh, my favorites, the lustful on the podcast, Walking with Dante.